theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like an old paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metric system. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. super excited let's get ready i need to bring my energy up yes let's do it welcome to the hookup on film my name is adam my co-host is tony how you doing tonight tony i'm doing pretty well doing really well actually excited very excited Ooh, for tonight. well really well we got a great lineup for you we got lots of topics some of us some of which are planned that we're not going to discuss today <laughs> we do great Okay. Because we recorded too much. our mega Emmy episode, Emmy preview, there's a handful of new and newish movies that dropped on streamers. And that is our deal. We talk about movies that you may have seen in theaters. We talk about months later on streamers. <laughs> Disney Plus dropped Thor Love and Thunder. That will be discussed by us. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is now on HBO Max. And so not only are we going to discuss that film, uh, we're going to discuss the latter half of Tom Hanks' career. Um, a new show on Hulu dropped, or I don't know if it's Hulu or FX on Hulu. Regardless, it's very good. It's called The Patient. Uh, have you seen Welcome to Wrexham? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. We'll discuss the documentary about real-life almost Ted Lasso-type show. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Episodes three and four of House of the Dragon. And uh, we'll do a little Emmy recap. Heck yeah. Needless to say, many of my predictions are were incorrect. They were though, I mean, you know, that's that's how these things work. You know, it's kinda it was an odd night. We but we start off every single episode with a movie battle. And to commemorate the start of the NFL season, we have the replacements versus Varsity Blues. Tony, which one are you picking? Ooh, what's really exciting here, just before we get started, is, um, well, how we got some House of the Dragon. We have a House of the Dragon actor in one of these movies. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, the kicker in um, yes, the, the replacements, Reese Effens, is uh, uh, Otto Hightower. That's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I just thought that's awesome. Um, I love the replacements. I love Varsity Blues. Um, ah, ooh, I'm going to go Varsity Blues um, because I've seen it probably more. The replacements kind of came to me a little bit later. Um, replacements came out in 2000. I probably didn't watch it for the first time until 10 years later. I don't know why I missed it. I don't, but it's, it's awesome. I mean, when you look at Gene Hackman, later Gene Hackman, I mean, this has got to stand out for that being pretty, pretty good. But Varsity Blues, um, John Voight's ridiculous turn um, as the coach. Um, coach Bud Kilmer is just, it's too much for me. It's too great. 
But uh, that's why I'm going Varsity Blues. Yeah, I don't know if these two movies would be the general consensus, some of the best football movies out there. But I'm with you. I absolutely love both Varsity Blues and The Replacements. Like, I'm not a big fan of Rudy. I mean, I really don't like Rudy because fuck Notre Dame. Yeah, oh, Rudy is and, no, no, I'm not a big fan of Rudy. And Rudy is giant Notre Dame propaganda, so fuck <laughs> that. I actually know people who were at the real game, and they said that's totally blown out of proportion, that movie. like you said. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, but. <laughs> I know. Um, what's your feelings on, really quick, would you take any given Sunday over these two movies? I wouldn't. Um, I'm not a big Michael Mann fan to begin with. Um, and that Oliver movie, Stone. I mean, you want to... Yeah, regardless. They're the <laughs> same director in my mind sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of Michael Mann either, but... Hey, hey, that's, hey, that's no problem. But I was just curious how you would lie with that. I mean, both of these movies, Replacements and Varsity Blues, both, I think the story is is solid. Um I like Varsity Blues because it's like that typical teenage story. Replacements is a good story, though, too, when you just think of the overall, the way they, they pull that movie off. Um, you know, it's, it's it, when I think about them, they're both so good. Gene Hackman's awesome. So pretty much like I like Gene Hackman in the one movie, but uh, I got to still go with Varsity Blues, I think. There's something about like the late 90s, early 2000s aesthetic of both of these movies that just absolutely hits me in my movie sweet spot. Me too. Me too. Um, I saw The Replacements in the theaters, and it's like one of my favorite movies. I, I, feel, like we, awesome. we disres- I feel like we disrespect Shane Falco so much in the discussion of who's the best fictional quarterback. Mm-hmm. I feel like his name rarely gets brought up, and you got to have heart. That's Sometimes true. you just got to have heart. That is true, you know. Um, so very true. <laughs> so I love Varsity Blues. It's an MTV movie, and it definitely feels like a movie made by MTV. It does. Yeah. Um, and um, like for for what it is, it's like it has that teen melodrama, but it's not too heightened. Um, it still has a lot of fun, you know. The whole where they meet their teacher in a strip club. Why don't it, we know? Our very first episode, our boys in, in Varsity Blues, Jesse Plemons. He plays Lance and Julia's younger brother and Kyle's best friend. Very classic role there. He, he must have been like <laughs> ten or something, because yeah, he's like, very, he's very, very, he's very, very young in that in that movie. Very young. <laughs> um, like I've only, but I've only seen Varsity Blues once. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I like it a lot. But The Replacements is just one of those movies for me, where. I think I've said it on this podcast before. I'm I like I'm pretty sure it's like not a good movie objectively and I I don't care. This movie rocks. I can it's it's so immensely rewatchable. I know how it's going to end. I I always love um a story of like let's bring a a, a ragtag group of characters together and then they're going to be awesome. I love that movie trope and especially in sports movies. That's a good so one. So my pick is the replacements but hey, they're both actually like you said um, they're both good, entertaining movies. Um, it's hard to really argue. Like, this isn't the type of battle for me where I'm going to be like, oh, that one stinks or this one's better. It's like you're pretty much picking. Like, if you said, hey, we're going to watch The Replacements first and then we'll watch Varsity Blues, I'm not going to argue with you because they're both really, really good movies to me for what they're doing. Yeah, they, they both 100% know what type of movie they are and execute it perfectly. 
you know, and I, and I agree with you. Um, honestly, I do enjoy, I mean, I'm not saying I like it really even it's, it's, it's really kind of out of control is any given Sunday. I do believe I agree with you that these, both of these movies are better and more entertaining than that movie, but that's, that's my opinion too. So, but yeah, good. All right. Where do you want to go next? Elvis or Thor? Let's do, we could do, we could do Thor. All right, Thor, Love and Thunder is a 2022 film directed by Taika Watiti. It's his second installment. It's the fourth Thor movie. Stars Natalie Portman, Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson. Taika Watiti has a role in it. And my boy, Christian Bale. Your voice kind of went down there at the end there when you said his name. were Were you happy with his performance? This movie needed, like so much more christian bale like you have one of the greatest actors of all time especially one of the greatest actors right now and this is his entry in the marvel cinematic universe it was so disappointing and it's not necessarily because of his performance which was i thought fine it's just they underused him you know what's interesting is that i'm thinking back now to a couple episodes where we were talking about this and how him joining marvel was it going to be was he going to live up to the part? And I totally agree with you. Um, I like to say the movie was bad. It was entertaining. Um, you know, but that's for somebody who, when I start to look deeper into some of the stuff, you know, I mean, I think Christian Bale definitely could have been in it more. Like Kate Blanchett got a fucking chew scenery as Hela in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. She, she really got eaten up in, you know, Christian Bale is trying in the limited screen time he has, but I, uh, this, this movie's, I don't know, this movie is, is fine. I think it got a little bit too much hate when it first got released because people love Ragnarok. Um, like this movie is like a, a B minus Marvel movie where it has a, like that Marvel humor. Um, it sets up a story. It, you know, each scene like connects to the next. If you think about it for too long, you realize that it's pretty dumb. And you know, like, why doesn't you know they go to a omnipotent city or whatever, and like no other god is like, hey, there's a guy who's killing gods. Let's go stop him. A whole entire city is just like, now nah, that's cool. You just kill Hercules and or kill Zeus and run away. Like, if you think about it for like more than two seconds, it's it's dumb. You can poke so many holes in it, but you know, for like a, a turn your brain off Marvel movie, it's, I think it's fine. I didn't think I heard a lot of criticism that there was too much humor in it. Mm-hmm. And when there was some humor that was undercutting some poignant scenes. And I personally didn't feel that way. I felt like, you know, there's, you know, particularly the Natalie Portman character and Thor, Chris Hemsworth were like, they used humor as a defense mechanism to try to steer away from the fact that like they gave a fucking character cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, um, so the, outside of the, the fucking dumb goat screaming goat bit, like that was <laughs> awful and ridiculous. Um, I thought the humor was fine. I thought everything was fine. Like this is a, a fine movie. I'm glad I didn't pay to see it in the theater. And, oh, but I'm yeah. glad I, you know, came to Disney plus and I can stream it over two nights. Shout out to Russell Crowe. I liked his performance as Zeus. He was ridiculous in the movie. Um, you know, he's hamming it up, I think, you know, more. This isn't the um, 
the gladiator Russell Crowe. I don't I don't feel. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy show up. What did you think about them in the movie? No, they were they were fine. They were we needed to because Thor had left with the Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of Endgame. We need to have some connective tissue to have them with them, but they're going to be off in their own movie, and Thor's going to be off in his own movie, and whatever. I'm a big fan of Tessa Thompson. I think she's a good actress. Um, you know, I don't know if, again, Christian Bale, she's used 100% the best in these movies, but that's here nor there. I think it's entertaining. You know, I. It, you know, the thing about the movie, I think, is that you know, what is this, the fourth one? I mean, do you know, is there a rumor? Will there be a fifth one? It doesn't look like the money here didn't do as good as maybe, I don't know, you know. Um, it's only made like three times its budget back, which usually I think they like to make more money than that. But it's fun, as you said. Oh, woe is Marvel and Disney. They only made three times their money back. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, you know, they like they like to get into the billions. This is high millions, you know. This is seven hundred and fifty eight million pennies, pennies to the dollar. I don't know. This to me, Thor is four is just like emblematic of this like version, this stage of Marvel where I think there's there's too many pots on the stove. Um and I don't know, I'm like you know, there's another we talked about it before, like they're they're clearly setting up a kid Avengers movie at some point. Like that little kid is gonna be in another movie. Like this movie is setting up another movie. Like, I don't know. I just it it was fine for what it was. I'm glad like I watched it, but I'm also glad I didn't pay for it. I think it's it's fine. It, it maybe got a little bit too much undeserved hate, but it's also not great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, that was a question really quick since you, you brought it up a couple times. Would you, let's say out of the last, since since you've been watching in the last couple of years, everyone's had to watch more streaming movies than go to the theater. Would you say that's your consensus, that you've seen more movies that you wouldn't have paid for than you would have? I mean, it's tough because when I was still going to theaters, I was still like Marvel movie was still the type of movies I wanted to see because okay. yeah, no, that's I was like, I was definitely worried about spoilers, but you know, with like Multiverse of Madness and Love and Thunder, like I saw spoilers and I just, cause I don't really care about these projects. I wasn't that excited. And I feel like I was right to be not that excited. These movies are fine, but they're nothing special. And I'll be honest with you, you know, I can vouch for you and say that like, take a movie like Prey, which you admitted that you didn't have any interest in. And that movie totally piqued your interest. So I believe that if this movie was good, and you sat down and watched it, you would have you would have said it was good. So you're not being biased at all. I don't think we're being biased. I think it's it's an okay movie, like you said. It's a good popcorn movie. I don't think it really pushes the boundaries past Ragnarok, but entertaining. I think I, I like the poster actually. The poster is probably my favorite part. It's very colorful. But that being said, you know, I agree with you. I don't know. It's I do believe that like sitting down in a you know in a theater with a comfy chair and you're not able to look at your phone is a better experience i probably i do think i probably will like every single movie just a tad bit more if i was in a theater but i find it hard to believe that i would be raving about this movie if i saw it in the theater versus seeing it you know streaming and you know kind of second screening it cuz i don't know it i also feel like 
I'm actually even a little bit higher than the consensus. I feel I feel like when I saw Twitter reviews of people who thought saw it in the theater, they're like, "This movie sucks," and I think it's it's a little bit better than that. But people really didn't like it from well, it, what I saw. It seems like this thing where people jump the gun. I, I don't know if these people even seen it. The thing's going on right now. I'm not going to watch it, but a lot of there's a lot of. Or maybe I will watch it. I'm not sure yet. But the Lord, the new Lord of the Rings show, a lot of people are saying negative things about it. And I don't even know if they've watched it yet. Um, in this regard, I think, you know, you have people that try to ruin it before it comes out. And that might be some of the people that you're talking about. You know, it's definitely not bad in any stretch or form. But, uh, you know, to the person who has to see it, you know, I guess they can judge for themselves. But now let's move on to a movie I think is outright bad, and that's Baz Luhrmann's 2022 film Elvis, starring Austin Butler as Elvis Presley and Tom Hanks as the Colonel. Uh, fuck this movie, but what did you think of it? You know, okay. There's something here. I mean, okay, so like I got to really like, okay, it's not good. But it's it's something about it has stuck with me. I mean, I'm not gonna. I I've only watched it the one time. Um, I really wish it was shot differently than it is. I'm not saying it's ter. It is terribly shot. I, this is the move. This movie's got me all back and forth. I'll be honest with you, because I really dislike Tom Hanks, but I really like the performance by the lead actor Austin Butler. Right. Yep. Um, but that being said. Let's start really quick. Like before going and seeing this movie, what's your opinions on Elvis? I don't really know a whole lot about Elvis, so me either. You know, I mean, like, you know, I know a lot about music, but I don't know a lot about him. So this movie's going to show me just like it's going to show you his life. And right out the get go, this is the problem. I think didn't you did you did you stick around through the whole movie or no? Uh, no, I, I I will give every movie at least like an hour or halfway through its runtime, yeah. yeah. Like to give it some sort of fair shot. And I watched like half of this movie, and I'm like, this movie is a blunt force object beating me to death, and I want to stay alive. And so like I turned it off to go to sleep, and I, I never turned it back on. You know, and I'll be honest with you, when you explain it like that, that first half is that's the pro that first half or first even. It's grueling. Um, them, it's so grueling when he is, and I'm not going to do it tonight. But I, I had been practicing um, the Colonel um, Tom Hanks's accent in this movie, but I'm not going to try it right now. He is just to me. Um, he is just something about his character. Not, I know the character. I know it well. I'm talking about him playing this character. I just did not uh, enjoy him at all. I think he ruined the movie for me. Um, but that being said. There's something about this Elvis character that why do people like him so much? I'm still not really trying to, I'm trying to put my finger on it. I'm reading things. I'm still not there yet. Um, this movie tries to show that, but like, it's kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody. It just, it doesn't really like, it's empty. Baz Luhrmann is a lot of his, I, you know, I, I, I don't really like a lot of his movies at all. Yeah, it, I, I went back and like looked at his filmography, and it turns out like, you know, he started off pretty strong out of the gate with Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge, but 
I don't know that he's made like another good movie since then. And he is a maximalist director. And this movie is, is a fucking maximalist maximalist movie. Like, I mean, when he's like up there on stage and he's in that peak outfit and he's like, the camera shots are like, it's like, it's a lot. This, I mean, this movie, if there was like a most edited Oscar, like this is movie's not the best edited, but it is the most edited. (laughs) Holy shit. Are there swoops and zooms and fast cuts? And this movie is fucking editing up the wazoo. That's the problem. It's the, like you just said, the editing up the wazoo. Which I've never actually thought about in a movie before. That's actually very awesome. Um, you know, I really beat that movie, um, The Great Gatsby, into my head because of Leo, because I enjoy him so much. Much. I had HBO at the time when it was released on there, and I probably watched that movie 10 to 15 times just because when I was falling asleep. By the time, but the 15th time, it's the same thing. It's so huge, it's so overdone. Um, it's like Elvis. The performance of Austin Butler, I think, is great, but I just think everything else about it is not so good. But that's another flaw of the movie is that its framing device is through Tom Hanks's Colonel character, yes, and like, and not through the Elvis character. So not only does that mean less time for Elvis, but I can't, I, I, I can't I can't stand that accent he's doing in the movie and he's bad. narrating it. That's bad. Um it's really bad. What's even more bad is that I tried to go to my in-laws later because they saw the movie and tried to it was right after me and you talked and I tried to like tell them all the things that were bad about it and they just kind of stared at me. Um because they were like, Yeah, it was okay. Um but the thing about it is is it's there's a lot of it that's not okay. And that's one of it, as you said, is the Colonel's narrating by Tom Hanks. It's almost told like it's like a fairy tale, but it really isn't a fairy tale. Um, None of it is the end. None of his life is really kind of, it is kind of, but it's not a fairy tale. Um, But yeah, he's just, Tom Hanks really sabotages, I think, a lot of this movie. And it's also like, I was thinking about it. If this movie was directed like Bohemian Rhapsody, I think it would be a lot more tolerable. That's true. That's true. But, and because for someone like myself, and I was actually talking to my wife about this. She's like, I don't really know anything about Elvis. It would be nice to watch a movie to at least get somewhat sense of his life. Yeah. And I think it would have been probably smoother to go down, but I still don't think it would have been a good movie. Like, it's. I think we just need to be done with music biopics because it's because this was a way to to break free from the norm, and it was it was even worse. I'll use somebody like uh, Scorsese or even like Clint Eastwood. I'm not saying they would have made this. This would have been a great movie. I'm just saying you're going to have a more tolerable piece of work in front of you than these. Like you said, all these 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 editing insane editing and i'll be honest with you i never watched romeo and juliet and in the last six seven years i've tried a couple times it's too much for me um i don't like it it's like overacted i don't know i don't i'm not a fan um moulin rouge not a fan what else has he done i'm trying to think of is there anything else besides he did a movie called australia which i haven't seen oh that's that's a big time big time flop um 
you're talking about a $130 million budget and it only took in $200 million. Um, it's just a musical. I mean, he's that movie right there is a 165 minute musical and you've never seen it. And that's, there's a reason why you haven't seen it. It's not good. Um, but Elvis, you know, I think the problem is, is that, like you said, it's those shots and it's Tom Hanks and it's, um, you're right though. Musical biographies, they either got to be done right or they don't have to be done at all. And I feel, but with Bohemian Rhapsody's success comes, comes this movie and it did halfway decent at the box office. So it's not a failure, so to speak, but that's so said, doesn't mean it's good. I just, I really, and luckily nothing's been announced yet. I I'm hoping that like, as, you know, these musical biopics start to die down that we don't get a Kurt Cobain biopic. Oh. I, I don't fucking need a Kurt Cobain there's story. There's Well, they've done like those cheesy, uh, what's it called? Gus Van Zandt did one where it's like, it's a, it's not like a biopic like this, but it's like one of those movies where it's like a day in the life or something. And it's like, it's an artsy movie, but I know what you're talking about. I hope not too. I agree. Um, it's unnecessary. And if they do, if they are to do that, maybe they'll do it when we're like 30 years from now, when we're maybe in our seventies, but not, not anytime soon. I, I'm not for that at all. No. Yeah. But anyway, you talked about Tom Hanks and I think it's a good topic that you, you were texting me about, like, is Tom Hanks a good actor anymore? So here is his IMDb page since, let's see, I'll go since, uh, I want to go since around, okay, 2007's Charlie Wilson's War. And he's had some stinkers before that, but here's everything. Uh, The Great Buck Howard, Angels and Demons. Ah. Toy Story 3, Larry Crown, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Bad, Cloud Atlas, Bad, Captain Phillips, Bad. That's fine. Yeah, it is. It is, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's because of him or the other guy in the movie. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a minute, but continue. Saving Mr. Banks. Mm. Carly Rae Jepsen's music video, I really like you. <laughs> I actually like I like that music video. I just, anyways. Um, Bridge of Spies. A movie, it's directed by Meg Ryan. It's called Ithaca. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't really, I don't know. I, have, I honestly haven't heard of it until I was looking through his MDB page. A Hologram for the King. <laughs> Sully, Inferno, The Circle, The Post, Toy Story 4. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Greyhound, News of the World, Finch, Elvis, and he Pinocchio just got released. Um, you forgot uh, Borat's subsequent movie film, the sequel. Now he says he plays himself in that. Um, you know, out of everything you just mentioned right there, Sully would be the only thing that I would say is tolerable. But again, it's, you know. He's I mean, like, outside the Toy Stories, obviously, but yeah, I mean, he's hooking up with Clint Eastwood for a paint by numbers movie on a pilot that you know. Have I mean, you seen uh, Greg Paul Greengrass's News of the World? Uh, the, yes, yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's uh, it's 
it is what it is, you know. It's he's not doing. I mean, he's you know the problem with Tom Hanks is, is we got used to Tom Hanks doing all this incredible stuff, you know, playing Forrest Gump, The Green Mile, Philadelphia. You know, your expectations are high. Even Catch Me If You Can, Road to Perdition. You know, going backwards even more big that you come. To- all right, here's his here's his '90s because. Very few people have gone on such a run. We'll I'll start with 92's A League of Their Own. Okay. Uh, so, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, and 2000's Castaway. Uh, oh, yeah. They're all really solid and really good. That's a fucking hell of a 90s. And that's more, well, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best, you know, but that's the thing. Where does, you know, from there he goes, I mean, this is where it goes wrong, honestly. He goes, Road to Perdition and Catch Me If You Can in 2002. Then he does The Lady Killers, which I remember, it's a Coen Brothers movie, but it's a flop. And he's good in it, but he didn't get, like, he did, it wasn't, like, looked upon as good. And then The Terminal, which isn't very good. Polar Express, eh. Da Vinci Code, eh. and then work to Charlie Wilson's War. So, I mean, you can see kind of how he backs himself into now where he's making, you know, he's just making these movies now where he, I, I don't even know how to describe them. Um, you know, this new Pinocchio he, movie, it looks like another accent that I don't know if I'm ready for. So he, like, because I was thinking about this. So for starters... Is there any risk in any of the roles he had, like, and since the Charlie Wilson's War, like in all those movies, is there any sort of acting risk that he's taking? Basically, ninety percent of them are real people, but nothing comes like, like when he was playing Jimmy Dugan in uh, A League of Their Own or Philadelphia or Forrest Gump, like playing a gay lawyer who gets AIDS for like Tom Hanks. That was a fucking risk, and he was rewarded with an Academy Award for it. Even a role like Forrest Gump is a, is an acting risk. Well, I think There's he's ev- trying to play like older, like look at him. He's playing the Colonel in Elvis. It's an older role. He's playing Pinocchio. He's playing Geppetto. Like he's like trying. Which, uh, what do you think about that trailer and that coming out? Are you? Is that something that interests you? I don't understand why we need ten million Pinocchios, and I definitely <laughs> don't need. A Pinocchio directed by Robert Zemeckis, which no. is my next one. What's the last good movie Robert Zemeckis directed? That's actually a fair point, also. Castaway? Like, he. That's also another problem with Hanks is that he, he continues up. to work with Zemeckis and Spielberg. It's true. And Ron Howard, who. Have any of those made a good movie in 20 years? To be fair. Um, well, not real. I'll be honest with you. Is since 2004 till today, Zemeckis has only made what I would call one awesome movie, and that would be I like Flight a lot with Denzel. Um, but I mean, The Walk, Allied, Welcome to Marwin, The Witches. I mean, some of them are good or tolerable, watchable, but they're definitely not Zemeckis greatness by any stretch or any means. But uh, but that's kind of what what I feel like Tom Hanks is doing. He's kind of like, and like you said, how many Pinocchios do we need? You know, 
I'll always, I'll always quote, you know, I mean, how, you just said it. Like, I don't understand who decided that we needed all these Pinocchios. Are you, I don't know one person who's interested in seeing Pinocchio. Now, maybe it's for a newer generation that I'm just not seeing, but even my children, my daughter, I don't know. I'm sure you're not rushing to show your children this new Pinocchio initi initiation because it doesn't even look like it's, it looks kind of like, it doesn't even look like it's for children. <laughs> I don't know. It's the notion that because it's now in the public domain and it's quote unquote intellectual property, it's IP. Like we all have to make a Pinocchio. Nobody's clamoring for a fucking Pinocchio. And I'm definitely not clamoring for um, a Robert Zemeckis animated Pinocchio. But like these directors, so Finch is Miguel Sapochnik, who's a really good Game of Thrones director, but you know, definitely not a movie director. News of the World is Greengrass, and it's actually pretty good, but Paul Greengrass hasn't made a good movie since The Bourne. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, to his credit, is actually some somewhat of a risk because it's Mariel Heller coming off of Won't You Ever Forgive Me, but the movie's stupid, and I don't know why he feels the need to play Fred Rogers. Well, um, the Post is Spielberg, The Circle, like Inferno is Howard, Sully is Eastwood, um, Bridge of Spies is Spielberg, Saving Mr. Banks, I'm sure, is some dumb director. He needs to play something. Like in my eyes, he needs to play a, a like a cold, like a killer or something, something offbeat. Not him. Something different. These are all kind of like he's playing the same character. Besides the Colonel, I guess. Um, he's got something coming out called. But Ash. even even the Colonel, like he, he gets to at least you know do a voice and gets to you know put on prosthetics and stuff. That's not an original character. Paul Giamatti has literally played this character twice in Here, Love and Mercy and Straight Outta Compton. That's not like a, that's not a risk for Tom Hanks to play the bad manager in a music biopic. This is interesting. Um, I was looking at his a movie he's got coming out. I don't know when it's going to be released, but it's Wes Anderson's next movie. He's going to be starring. Um, I don't know if that's really him. It's it's more quirky. If he's not really playing out it, he always plays quirky. But again, I don't know how he keeps hooking up with good directors as you stay. Um, the movies just aren't. Uh... At least that's somewhat like I don't not a big fan of Wes Anderson's aesthetic and the shtick. But I mean, at least that's it's trying something new versus these like, you know, a copycat of a copycat of a dramatic Spielberg movie. You're right. I mean, I definitely, definitely agree with what you're saying. But that's the, the, you know. I will say, so um, to his credit. I, I will say Cloud Atlas is a risk, you know, with the Wachowski siblings. It was, it was. And, and so, like, it, I'll, I'll, at least, like, at least he was trying with that, but. Did you watch like, that movie? Uh, I, it looked awful and it got really bad reviews. So. It was, so let me put you this way. He's not bad in it. The way it looks isn't bad. The story's awful. So it's like, it's not worth watching because you can't watch a movie with a bad story. But you're right. He, he isn't, he, he took a risk with that movie. I will agree with you on that. But like, I wanted to take more risk, and at least Wes Anderson is somewhat of a risk. But Wes Anderson is also a very well established director in Hollywood. You're telling me there's like no hungry up and comer, there's no like indie movie that he saw at Sundance is like, I want to, you know, produce this guy's next film and I'll star in it. That's a good um, question. I, you, I often wonder how, why, or that doesn't work or happen more often. But when you're talking about he's in the post, uh, did you see that movie? Yeah, I mean that movie is is a fine 
Steven Spielberg feels exactly like Oscar bait. Like when I think of Oscar bait, I think of like Bridge of Spies in the post. You're absolutely right. And I think you're, um, you, you know, that movie didn't, when you see other things like that movie, that movie isn't the best. Like you said, it's, 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 but he's working with Spielberg. He stays safe, you know, Bridge of Spies, you know, if you could say safe or say stay safe, then, you know, that's what he does. He plays, he plays safe, but I don't know if that's really good. And it'd be one thing if like, he like tries to do these mainstream safe movies to at least stay in the public consciousness, but then every once in a while we'll do like an indie. Yeah. I think that I maybe would have a little bit more respect for that, but he is, he's not trying. And like I said, early in his career when he was a little bit hungrier and like after big, he took some big swings in the nineties and it worked out so well for him. And I know he's a lot older. And so some of those roles maybe aren't there, but I was thinking like, neither of us have obviously seen Darren Aronofsky's the whale, but he, I bet you he probably could have done that. Well, I, yeah. mean, I mean, that wouldn't have been, um, you know, I mean, but he had steady put the costume on for the Colonel. Right. He put it on for a music biopic. But, like, the thing is, is the Colonel himself, I read him, he's an interesting character. The thing about it is, is the way the movie's filmed doesn't make him interesting at all. It makes him annoying. It makes him stupid. And that's the problem, is the movie itself, the story itself, whoever came up with that script was bad, and then his editing was bad. And then, you know, so, like, Tom Hanks... That's the problem. I don't like Tom Hanks doing another accent. I like Tom Hanks playing Tom Hanks. So like him playing, doing the Geppetto, like, hello, I'm Geppetto. I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear him when he was like in those other movies that you mentioned before. Look at him in Philadelphia. That's just acting one-on-one, talking back and forth, castaway even when he doesn't have anyone really to talk to. It's just him acting. He's not doing voices, but you know, that's where we are now. Maybe that's, I mean, let's really think about it. What other movies are out there that he would be in if he wasn't in these movies? And it just, you know, I was like trying to think of it. I obviously didn't spend too much time, yeah. but when you're Tom fucking Hanks and you can that's still true. like get movies made and sell them to Apple or whatever, that's true. Like Tom Hanks is at the point of his career where he can make interesting movies. Like the, he, he doesn't, he's not trying to make it big. Like you, you, when an actor of his caliber is at that point of career that he's in right now, like his movie choices kind of tell you something about him. Like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously completely different actors, but they're out trying and at least working with interesting directors. Like Brad Pitt, for example, obviously not even close to the same type of actor, but the trailer for Damien Chazelle's Babylon got released. And even though Damien Chazelle is you know, now a decently well-established director now that he has an Academy Award as well. He's still a younger director. Like, you don't need to work with Paul Greengrass and Steven Spielberg. Why is why can't he work with Damien Chazelle? Why can't he work with um, Steve McQueen? Why can't he work with... Comfort. comfort. He's not... He's not. Those other guys bring him comfort. Like you said, News of the World, it's, it's a comfort movie. He could just... He could just get behind on the saddle and just do, do Tom Hanks and you know, Paul Greengrass knows what he's going to do. You know, I mean, he doesn't want, that's why Wes Anderson, like you said, he's got to do something different with Wes Anderson. And going back to that Coen brothers movie, he can do quirky. The thing about it is it needs to be fit for him. 
to do well. So we'll see how that will work. But so far, like you said, he's not really taking chances. Yeah, it's he's like one of our you know greatest actors of probably you or my lifetime, and it, it especially when you look at the latter half of his career, it's it's really disappointing. When you watch, I, I don't know if you've ever. I hope you didn't ever watch the circle that was not a good movie at all in any way shape or form and it's really honestly if you watch it it reminds me of a paycheck movie you know i don't know why he even signed up for his movie he's just literally playing like did you ever see that movie or no no because again it looked bad and it got bad reviews i'm it not is. gonna it was, no you shouldn't you shouldn't have but you know me i have to eat up all the garbage just to cover this ground but it had uh john boyega from um, star wars so it's supposed to be like a big kickoff for him, um, Tom Hanks. It's pretty much just a tech company gone wrong. and He's the head of the tech company. But even in that regard, he's playing a bad guy and he plays it like a nice guy, uh, you know, bad. But uh, yeah, Tom Hanks needs to hopefully this Wes Anderson movie will set him on the right path. You know, it's an, actually a performance that he actually probably could do, but it's TV. It's uh, the Steve Carell performance in the patient yes yes i never thought that's actually very very good point i agree so when i described it to my wife i described it as um donald gleason was a a therapist and steve carell is um a serial killer who needs to go to the therapist for help and uh gladly was surprised when it's the other way around (laughs) yeah Um, i mean what do you think I was just going to say three episodes. I've seen three episodes. Technically four has been released by the time this podcast gets released, but uh, I've only seen the first three. Um, it's a really interesting story where, you know, very early on, it's, I mean, it's the premise of the show. Steve Carell plays a therapist and uh, Donald Gleason plays a serial killer who is trying his best to get help, um, but is struggling. So he kidnaps Steve Carell's character in his basement uh, to go through these therapy sessions. And I posted this on Twitter and I know it's a horrific experience for Steve Carell's character, but he is eating like a King. <laughs> Donald Gleason's character is a huge foodie and comes home for dinner with like these magnificent meals. It's like, damn, I don't even eat this well. <laughs> that is a very, very fair point, but uh, it's created by the guys who did the Americans um, so that's why I think it actually, it might be an FX show. Um, I watch it on Hulu, but regardless, like when I found that out, I was like, oh, no wonder this show is so good. These guys are professional TV makers. They know how to make television. Yeah. I mean, it's shot very well. I like it. It's very, it's very, it's only like 20, 25 minutes long each episode or 20, 21 minutes long. Um, I don't know why when I saw the trailer, I just assumed it was going to be like an hour, but it's kind of like. Am I, are you supposed to laugh at this? I mean, you know, because like some of it, it's like really out there, um, which I love it. I love it. It's kind of like, it's kind of not funny, but it is like, because he's in this awful scenario. I don't know. You know, it's, I do enjoy it though. I enjoy, I'm a big Dom Hall Gleason fan. Um, lately, like I said, Mother's been on TV a lot and he's ridiculous in that movie. Um, I even he's my favorite in the new Star Wars movies. Even I wish he he had a bigger role, and Adam Driver maybe had a little less than a role because I think he's a great actor. Um, I'm curious to see where the show goes, though. Honestly, 
Yeah, I do wonder if the show might actually be a little bit better if, like, you waited to binge it all. Because they do have, like, great cliffhangers where I just want to be like, oh, cook next, cook next, cook next. And I can't because they're releasing them weekly. But, yeah, from the first three episodes I've seen, like, I'm really into them. You you sent me the text of, like, the best part about the show is that they're only 20 minutes long. Yeah. So they're not a huge time commitment. They're not a, like, it does kind of make me a little bit sad when you think existentially, like, 20 years ago, this would be a movie. And it actually might end up being the length of a, a movie, too, considering these episodes are so short. Um, like, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of misery in this movie of someone trapping another one in a room. You know, and it's like you said, Steve Carell. I mean, I give Steve Carell credit because, I mean, you know, here I'm going to do a quick thing. But, I mean, like, Steve Carell is 60. Tom Hanks is 66. So they're only six years apart. And wouldn't you say Steve Carell kind of takes, has been taking some more risks? I mean, well, he he probably has to more because of he's fighting against the office or what's Tom Hanks fighting against, really? So, like, Steve Carell, I feel like, is always trying to be funny, but he's also trying to do some, some pretty good stuff, too, to try to off-balance that. But I mean, he's... He has, to his credit, taken some risks, like the aforementioned Welcome to Marwin from Zemeckis, and (laughs) some of his his risks of not working out, so. You know, uh, Little Miss Sunshine, would you say that's a little, is that a risk, or is that? Oh, yeah, that was a huge risk for him, but that's also uh, 17 years old now, came out in 2005. Big Short. I love him in the Big Short. He's great, the Big Short. Um, Battle of the Sexes, I mean, I don't know if that's a risk. Um, but I, you know, I actually think it is a little bit of a risk because that character that Corell is playing is a chauvinist gambling addict asshole, um, which is very much against Steve Carell's type and very much against Tom Hanks' type. Now, I can't imagine Tom Hanks doing any sort of athletics in a movie. This next movie might be the one that I think that Tom Hanks, when you're talking about Tom Hanks needing to take a chance, Steve Carell playing in Foxcatcher. Um, when have you seen Tom Hanks do that in the last, well, 20, since those mentioned or late 90s movies where you're generally are the direct opposite of who you are portrayed to be out in the public? Not that if you like the movie or not, but Steve Carell, I mean, he totally went against character type in that movie. But that being said, you know, that's, I think what Tom Hanks needs to, you know, you know what what he need would need to do to be a little bit more like Steve Carell and that's what he does in the show is um playing that therapist but that's why he's still a little bit like Steve Carell though so like i do you buy him being super serious Steve Carell yeah 100% i, I feel like we went on a really weird tangent comparing tom hanks to steve carell yeah. no no other podcasts are going to make that connection no <laughs> no they are not both are uh, were nominated for was was Carell nominated for a Academy Award for Foxcatcher? Yeah, and uh, Hanks obviously has a bunch more nominations and two wins. Well, yes, obviously, yes. But yeah, but, like I think ultimately, like Steve Carell is taking risks. I do like him in this performance a lot. I don't for a second believe that he's Jewish, but <laughs> I I still like this performance. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, is that. Um, it being 20 minutes, you know, I think they're just trying to, I mean, I don't think, is this a show that could stretch to multiple seasons? 
I'd be surprised. Yeah. I mean, is he going to kidnap someone? Like, this really feels like it's going to come to a head of, you know, either Dom Gleason or Steve Carell's character dying. And my guess is the bad guy dies, which will be Gleason's very shocking, Very, very shocking. But, you know, as far as acting goes, you know, I think it's a good show if you want to watch Dom Hall and, and Steve. Curious to see where it goes. Before I actually jumped on here, uh, 40 year old virgin was on um totally the same character as steve carell as i love that movie but uh yeah definitely i i check it out you know when you grab a boob and it feels like a bag of sand <laughs> bag of sand i say that to my wife probably way too much uh, during, uh, during the week bag of sand man come on or just now i was listening to him he's like i like I like women so much that I, I don't even talk to them. That's how much I respect them. I don't know. I found that to be funny. I love the 40-year-old version. Early Judd Apatow's my jam. He is. He's good. Um, but... Let's move on to, we'll end with House of the Dragons. All right. The last newish show, also you can find on Hulu. And again, probably an FX on Hulu because Rob McElhaney is, has an FX show. And that's Welcome to Wrexham, the docuseries where it's always sunny in Philadelphia's Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds by a football soccer team in Wales and pump a whole bunch of money into it to try to make them a success. And as a White Sox fan, it makes me quite jealous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be really nice to be able to buy to buy something. Um, no, but it's also really nice seeing like owners actually care about a team and pump money on, pump money into it, and like doing their best to make them winners. You say like, are you trying to insinuate that the White Sox don't do that? <laughs> uh, I am outright saying that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't do that, and you would be outright right. You'd be right. You'd be right on, right on, um, right on cue. Um, which is hilarious that you should bring this up because a little while before I came on here, I found a picture of. Frank Darabont on the set of Shawshank wearing a White Sox jacket. Very, very, I posted that picture. You'll have to, you'll have to see it. But um, I think it was, I mean, it's, it's at first when I heard about this show, I didn't know it was like how it was. So I thought it was going to be just like Jason, uh, I mean, um, Ryan Reynolds playing just a nice owner of a football, not, not, not Ryan Reynolds, but actually playing like Ted Lasso too. So it was actually it was cool that it was it was fresh too. It wasn't just like Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's I you know this is a, a decently stereotypical story. Like it's an underdog story, trying to create a collection of players, trying to do their best to make the stadium you know uh, more habitable. But it's just a ultimately a really sweet documentary about these. You know, it's not all about the ownership. They do spend a lot of time in this. I think the town is called Wrexham, Wales. Um, and it shows just like how much sports mean to these people. And in the first episode, Rob McElhaney like discusses like he wants to buy the team because he's like, he's from Philly. He was like, I'm a huge Eagles fan. And when they won the Super Bowl a few years ago, it was one of the greatest moments of my life because of how much the Eagles meant to that community. And he wanted to buy the team to do something for that community and to see at least so far, you know, Rob and Ryan follow through and, you know, to, to actually talk to a bunch of people in this blue collar town that's kind of fading away. 
in um, Europe. Like, it's it's just it's really interesting. And I will say, I, I did Google how it ends, which I wish I didn't do. But um, <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, did you see the episode? I think it was when they. Um, I think they go there. For, was it like the first? I think that was in the beginning. No. Um, I mean, the show is cool the way it builds to them just becoming part, like the partners of them and watching this team grow, like you said. I've always been a big fan of that show inside, uh, is it Hard Knocks on, um, on HBO, where it just shows you like behind the scenes of a football team. This is a soccer team and it's them taking over the soccer team or whatnot, but it's the same thing. I, I always like shows like this. Yeah, uh, and speaking of TV shows now, do you want to move on to the Emmys? Sure, let's move on to the Emmys. Uh, so the primetime Emmys, they aired last night as we were rec- are recording this two days ago, if you were listening when this episode first gets released. And we did a, a huge episode where we broke down all the categories and talked about our favorite performances and who we thought were going to win. And to me, it's weird because... There are the Emmys, first and foremost, I feel like when it comes to winners, are like, have you won before? Okay, you're going to win again. And for the most part, that happened. Um, Succession and Ted Lasso were both the reigning winners coming into the night, and they both won Best Show again. Um, you know, Jason Sudeikis won, Brett Goldstein won, Julia Gardner for Ozark won. Um, like a lot of past winners and like reigning winners were crowned champions again and to me i found it surprising of when they decided to zag because it seemed very contradictory like so for example the one i wanted to discuss was um, best supporting actress in a comedy series okay um i don't want to try to get her name is Actor, okay. Uh, so Cheryl Lee Ralph from Abbott Elementary won. Yes. Beating out the this was the one time where Hannah Weddingham from Ted Lasso was the reigning champion and she lost. And I didn't realize this, but Cheryl Lee Ralph has actually been acting for quite a long time. Like she was in like Designing Women. If you go through her IMDb page, she's like shows up in so many shows. So not only is she like funny in Abbott Elementary, but this was sort of an acknowledgement of you have been toiling in this industry for so long. We recognize you. We honor you, which on its face is great. No disrespect to Cheryl Lee Ralph. But where it bugs me is like, why didn't they show that respect to other actors? And particularly one that we pointed out on our mega podcast Melanie Linsky. Yeah. Um, Melanie Linsky has been an amazing actress for a long time and has been, maybe she's not, she didn't toil as much. Maybe that was the difference is that at least she's getting recognition. You know, like, like I said, I mentioned this anecdote that my wife knows who Melanie Linsky is. So maybe she's too popular, (laughs) but they gave out Zendaya, another reigning winner who, no shots at Zendaya. She's great on Euphoria. She's a great actress. Why does Zendaya get a second Emmy, but someone like Melanie Linsky doesn't? Like, 
where, oh, the nomination is the win for you. Yeah, I mean, it's that's very interesting that you say that. I mean, I, I wonder how, honestly, I, how this all gets worked out, like you said. Um, you know, it's almost like you'd like to see different winners. Why is the same person winning? I mean, Zendaya did a great job. Um, you know, I don't know. It's a good question, though. It's tough to answer that one. And, like, so the best lead actor, that was another surprising one. Um, I'm horrible with pronunciation, so I'm not going to try, but the actor who was the lead of Squid Game ended up winning, beating out the reigning champion, Jeremy Strong, from Succession, which, I don't know, like... I, 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 I'm I a little, like, this is, again, we talked about this on the show. It's not no disrespect to Squid Game, but Lee Jung Jae, if that's how he, Lee Young Jae or what, however you pronounce it, I'm sure he, he, well, but that's all art is. Art is all perspective. So maybe, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I need to rewatch it. That's generally what happens sometimes. I, I just don't know how you have Adam Scott and Bob Odenkirk sitting there from Severance and Better Call Saul, respectively. I know. And be like, now we're going to, like, I like Squid Game. I think it's fine. I think this actor is fine. He did not blow me away. Why did he get, I actually kind of think, and even though I don't even watch Succession or Ozark, who other who also got nominees in this category, he was the last person I would have expected. He, like, if I had to do a power ranking of those actors coming into the night, he would have been six out of six. So, like, you know, get your award. I hope you're in more things. You were solid in the show. Why does he get it over, like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's so hard to watch how good Adam Scott and Bob Odenkirk were in their shows and be like, now nah, we're going to give it to, and it, I don't, I don't want people thinking I'm, I'm being fucking racist because there's nothing to do with he was in a different But that's language. what I was color. trying to say is that when you watch the film, it's not even that it's, it's, it's to me, it's just, I don't know. Squid game is more to me like sons of anarchy. And that's, and, but like, that's just saying, it's just not, it's fun, but I, I don't know if it was filmed or made to be, you know, I don't know. That's I don't even know what that even means. But. No, it's I'm with you. Like it just it feels like for all those nominations, the nomination was the win because like it was a fine show, it was a good show, the acting was good. Um, I don't think anyone stood out, and it was also like so. The last one I wanted to bring up because a lot of the things were kind of predictable was the limited series so. You know, we, we predicted um, White Lotus got, you know, one best limited series. Michael Keaton won best actor. I think those were kind of, we predicted. But it's the other ones where it's like, so Murray Bartlett won for best supporting actor. And that's a performance that we both really like. And out of the, all the performance nominated, that performance was my personal favorite. But the Emmys don't like give awards to like who was the best. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's why I, I like I was on the Steve Zahn bandwagon of like Steve Zahn's been doing great work. Let's give him an award. It's just weird that like what categories they chose to literally give it to the best performance or the best actor versus ones where they decided to go chalk well yeah i mean you know i mean julia gardner i mean though we discussed it i think she was fine on that i don't 
know if she was the one we talked you talked to Rhea Seahorn um I thought her character was better than Julia Gardner but you know I yeah don't... like that's not an instance where the best actor or your favorite character won they went chalk in that versus you know kudos to Murray um Bartlett, Bartlett? yeah like it, that's that's what bugs me is like if they're gonna go chalk, then like fine, that's what this award show is. But the inconsistency, inconsistency of we're gonna, uh, not, you know, give praise to this actress who's been tolling for a long time, but not this one. This performance that was actually good, but not that one. That's that's what I had an, an issue with. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how they seem to pick this year, um, where we talked that they usually like to through pickings. They were just like. We'll pick this one. We'll pick that one. We'll pick this one. There wasn't really a rhyme or a reason, but you know, I don't know. And, and, and no shots at Jennifer Coolidge, even though like that character and that storyline, I wasn't a fan of on the White Lotus. Connie, like, what does Connie Britton have to fucking do to I, win I, an Emmy? But I, but that was one that I could just. That was the one that out of any of them, I could just feel just because. I don't know why. Um, maybe because she that character of hers on that show. You know, it, she's like a quirky. She's she's quirky and weird and everything. But in that in that role, Connie Britton's just playing a, a B a lot of that that show. But you're right. Yeah, kind of like as 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 a character, Connie Britton did. It was just was neither here nor there. Yes, no, like, you're, no. You're right. She should. Where's her award? No, you're right. I mean, Jennifer, you never thought Stifler's mom would win an Emmy at any point in your life, but here we are. And you would have totally thought, like, who would win an Emmy's first, Stifler's mom or Mrs. Coach? You would totally would have said Mrs. Coach. Yeah, definitely. Like, Connie Britton obviously is not hurting that much for work or or recognition, but I I just, I don't understand why, again, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who has been tolling for a long time and is now on a good show and hopefully she's making her money, why she gets the Emmy, but Connie Britton, who has like a bunch of nominations prior, keeps getting screwed. It, that's that's my, my issue is like now with really anyone who won, you know, get your money, get your awards, get your time to shine. I just, I find it so maddeningly frustrated, frustrating at who gets to like their time to shine, who they deem worthy, and which performance is like, Oh, now this is your time versus oh, we're gonna do the same old, same old in this category. You know, I'm I'm curious to see what how it's gonna be next year. I mean, I honestly I could be wrong, but I mean I don't really see Breaking Bad winning these awards like we think. I could be wrong though. Better call Saul, you mean? Better call Saul, otherwise. Better yeah, call that's so that's the thing with Ozark is that I predicted it to win best series, not necessarily because I thought it was the best, but because my logic was recently the Emmys have actually given swan songs their due and Ozark had never won before. So maybe this is their swan song, but it'll be more than a year since Better Call Saul has released their finale. It will not be top of mind for the, you know, when you, when it comes time to vote, I feel pretty confident that, you know, Odenkirk and Seahorn and the show are going to get, you know, nominated, but Better Call Saul is the type of show 
that deserves its swan song. It deserves to sweep. And if fucking succession wins for the third straight time, then what are we doing here? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, I mean, I don't like any show enough to for it to win three times in a row. There's not a show that's ever been around that I would want to win. I always like switching it up, especially because I know that there's that many good shows. So there's no world that, that Ozark shouldn't have won one, Better Call Saul shouldn't have won. I mean, you know, and that's generally kind of my kind of opinion on it. But that being said, you know, you know, like they just seem to sometimes just pick the most randomest people, it seemed like. Um, and this year is no exception. I mean, they did pick Matthew McFadden for succession, which... So that was, that was like, I think we said at the time in our mega preview that even though Succession had three of the eight nominees, we both felt pretty confident that someone from Succession would win. And I think we put our eggs in the Kieran Culkin basket. Yeah. But like Matthew McFadden, who was like enjoyable on the show, he's somewhat comic relief. And, you know, he, he's well, been like an a, actor who's been around for a long time. I, you know, this last season, like I said, he, his role stepped up. Um, but like I said, I'd like to see a, a paper on how they, well, let's, this is how we're going to judge this actor versus that actor versus this person versus that person. Like, how does Julia Gardner win from Ozark, but someone from Squid Game didn't win? So what, the female in the Squid Game wasn't good enough, but the male was? Like, that's the kind And this of- is Julia Gardner's third win. And I know people like that Ruthie character, but like, and I don't know, it's, but... Like Rhea Seahorn is also like one of the greatest, like Kim Wexler, who Rhea Seahorn plays, is like one of the greatest television characters of all time. Like the fact that she wasn't even nominated for so many years was a, a travesty. Like she better fucking win next year. Odin Kirk better win next year. And you know, there's a huge chance where a TV show that we're not even aware of comes out and it's the hot new thing. And that actor like gets the win. Like, there's no guarantee that Better Call Saul is like gonna win for its swan song. Well, no. and this was the perfect opportunity to at least give it something because you know, out of all the nominees, like Bob Odenkirk, to me g- did give the best performance. Who he looked actually, if you didn't see him, he looked awesome last night. He had like this gray beard, his hair slicked back. I wonder if it's for a movie role or something. Because he actually, he looked cool. Um, and he deserved to win, I think, you know. But unfortunately, the uh, it sucked. The Emmys didn't deem that to be to be true. Yeah, it's, like I said, for the, for the, when it, in the few instances where they didn't give it to someone who won it before, it's just... It, it 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 boggles my mind of like how they determine oh this is not an instance where we're going chalk and what weird logic they're going to use to justify the winner because I'm telling yeah, I mean, you it's it's not always justifying the winner it's for these people it's almost always not you gave my favorite performance or you gave the best performance it's not you're right it isn't you're you're right. So if if you're not going to do it that way, what weird logic are you going to use? And you know, next next year if we you know we do another mega preview, I'm just I, I got to keep doing this because like I've done previews just not on podcasts before, uh-huh. and like I try to do these Ozark things, and like next year I'm going to pick Better Call Saul, but like I should just pick Succession because 
Succession <laughs> always wins. I should what? just pick Ted Lasso again because Ted Lasso always wins. Ah, see, like that's one good show, but I don't know. I don't. I don't. To me, Squid Game and Ted Lasso are in the same bucket. But that's just me. Ted Lasso is a great show, but I mean, like Emmys, lots of them. I mean. I mean, to me, I don't know. I mean, did Seinfeld have a lot of Emmys? I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, I think it's probably less than you think because Cheers was like I, around the same time. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm just not seeing it. But like, people like it a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I, I think some shows are just like for you to enjoy. Doesn't make them what the word is. Is like, oh, these these. This and this or that or whatnot, but uh, I think that uh, you know I think I think next year you're right. You might want to pick that, but then I'm afraid then they're going to go the other way. Then and then they're going to pick what you wanted to. It's going to be like the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. You're going to be upset that you didn't you didn't follow. But it'll be good. It'll be good. All right. So Seinfeld won ten primetime Emmys. Wow. But not necessarily for a show like. Oh, just all together. I got yeah. it. Yeah. Gotcha. Any uh, actor or actors? Michael Richard has a win for Michael. Best Supporting Actor. Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has an acting win. Uh, outstanding Achievement in Editing. Uh, editing. Michael Richards has another win. It won Best Series. Oh, no. no that's not a Best Series win. Uh, okay, won best series, best comedy series in 1993, mm-hmm. where Michael Richards. So I'm going backwards. Mm-hmm. He got it. He has another win, and Larry David has a win. Oh, he for writing the contest. Okay, okay, that's a pretty great episode of comedy that television. Is, that is. <laughs> uh, but, but but also okay. Why does Michael Richards have three wins and Jason Alexander doesn't? Because I think when you look back when the show was on TV, I think they were like Kramer, Kramer, Kramer. But when you really look back at that show, George was like, George is that show, I think, a lot more than Kramer is. But that's my I I mean, the the knock is that Jerry Seinfeld wasn't a great actor and the the three others carried him. Uh And I think that's true to some extent, but the notion, like there was a, I was like, I can't remember like what I was watching, but someone was like, what was on the page and the, what Jason Alexander delivered are like two completely different things. So much of George was because of Jason Alexander, not necessarily because of the writing. He brought those words to life in such a great way. And he obviously wasn't as physical as Michael Richards was, but he was doing his own thing. And he made that show so funny in a, in a way. Like he's actually a really, when you know that you're talking about it, he's actually a, he's a pretty good actor. Cause like for me, my introduction to him was he's in pretty woman. He's like the jerk. Right? Oh, he's, I mean, he's a almost rapist and pretty. He is. And like, you see him in that and he plays the role to a T, but then you see George and he plays that to a T. And when we talk about a little while ago, two direct opposite type of characters that he goes into shallow Hal and he's like somewhere in between both of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I like Jason Alexander a lot, but 
you know, Seinfeld was a show, like you said. Um, look at some of these other shows that are winning a lot. And you would always put Seinfeld ahead of, like, Succession, even though Succession might be a good show or whatnot, but... I mean, the fact that Modern Family had, like, 10 best comedy wins and Seinfeld only has one, like, only giving Seinfeld one at the time is always going to look silly. But that's Uh, a good point. If they're giving... I forgot that they gave that many to Modern Family, because then definitely that opens the door for Ted Lasso. And I can understand why Ted Lasso has all these awards, because of a show like Modern Family won that many, which was... That was too many. Not a terrible show, it's just too many. But I also wonder, like, was in Seinfeld's era, and I don't have, like, who they were up against for, like, all those years, was it what we were asking for, or what we are want from the Emmys, where they actually did spread the wealth around? Like, oh, Cheers is also good. We're going to give one to Cheers. Um, Mad About You is also good. We're going to give one to Mad About You. And, you know, I don't can't remember other sitcoms of the air off the top of my head, but even though Seinfeld was clearly head and shoulders above the rest, the Emmys were like, well, there's still other good above average sitcoms too. And was that a time where even a show like Seinfeld that was clearly the best didn't get multiple ones and then they decided to switch it. So now in eras where multiple shows have the option or have a legitimate argument for being the best show, now just lose to succession and Ted Lasso in perpetuity. <laughs> well, that's, that's 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 true too. You know, or even like you said, I mean, I you know, I believe Euphoria is a great show. Is that one best drama yet? Or probably not. They didn't win the first. No. no, but see, like I think that show deserves. I think that show deserves more to win than Zendaya deserves to win for her performance. But Zendaya is great. But the show you would give Eric Dane all the Emmys for pissing on a rug. (laughs) I would give him, he should have won the Emmy for that whole speech he gave in the corridor in front of his family. That he deserved something for that because that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my whole entire, especially considering I remember him just like him on Grey's Anatomy. But uh... so we have three members of succession. And two member, two actors from Severance and two actors from Squid Game, but Eric Dane pissing on a rug and Nothing. just being Nothing. an awesome yet awful person <laughs> can't get his. Can you imagine you're putting together this show and the only person of who people may recognize is Eric Dane? And then when they bring it to the television and then now look at where the show is, your lead actress is winning an award. I don't know. That's pretty incredible. Um, I'm excited to see his new show, too. Should be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's just, again, it's no shots at Zendaya, but she also got that award because she's like in these Marvel movies and her star, and she's in Dune and her star is on the rise and we're going to give it to now who's someone who's a legit movie star versus someone again, just give it to Melanie Linsky. Like that's true. true. But you brought it up earlier. You had brought up and we'll just change topic here real quick. You brought up the new trailer for Babylon. What did you think of that new trailer? Listen, I think it's, it looks dope. I am in for. It looks completely different than anything he's done. I'm I'm so happy that Jazz is only a side 
He's in just the music bed and Brad Brad Pitt looks like off the rails in this movie. I love an off the rip Brad Pitt an off the rails Brad Pitt performance. Margot Robbie looks great. Um you know so what I, about what about Margot Robbie in Amsterdam? Did you see that trailer? Uh yeah, I mean, I feel like it's I mean, she's she's been able to hold her own against some great actors, but is she going to be able to hold her own against Christian Bale and having his eyes fall out? <laughs> I mean, she probably can't. She's a great actress, but what I'm noticing is is it's like a lot of these new films coming out, they're looking backwards as opposed to like Babylon doesn't take place in today's time period, and obviously neither does Amsterdam, which is always another touch that directors do, I think, to like, you know, like The Godfather. That wasn't set in the 1970s. It was set further back. So I'm wondering if that's going to make these movies feel a little bit more classic. Yeah, but the best movie of all these is going to be The Whale, and I think that's set in present time. Which is which is shock. Well, Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, they have still no trailer on that yet. I'm shocked that there's no trailer on The Whale yet. Not that there needs to be one, because it's still going to be great. Um, I'm really curious to see what your review is going to be from The Whale, because I've read a couple people's reviews, and these were people who reviewed it sound like, sound like someone like you who would review it. And I'm curious just to hear mine and your review compared to others, because I think it looks incredible. Apparently it got like a... 15 minutes standing ovation yeah. at i think it, it was venice it did um, um and that's you know we, we we talked about this on on twitter but like getting anything a 15 minute standing ovation is fucking horseshit oh yeah do you know how hard it is to stand up and clap for 15 minutes uh it's pretty 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 difficult and that's when you're saying to yourself like because they also did it for the new Martin McDonough movie. There was a standing and the clapping for a long time. I mean, I think they're doing it because the actors are in the theater almost. Like, we All right, the- I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna set a timer for 15 minutes right now, and then when I when I say stop, that's how long these people were apparently <laughs> clapping for. All right, starting now. Oh man, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm super excited about Martin McDonough's the the Banshees of Irishian, and I think I do think some of it is like, you know, when the movie's over, you clap, and then they like have all the actors and directors and you know people yes. come onto yep. the stage. Like, here's Darren Aronofsky, clap for him for a minute. Here's Brendan Fraser, yes. clap for him. And I, I do think that's like part of it. I think, but apparently they gave Brendan Fraser like a five minute standing ovation, which. Well- Again, I'm super stoked. I love Brandon Frazier. I'm like really excited for his performance. Five minutes is a long, it's so long. Well, like the thing too is like even watching it, like, it, but like back to what you said, and I'm going to use one of your quotes here. You use the term Oscar bait. Does this, I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be, but it's, it seems like the wrestler, like you, we've said it before, and it's going to be awesome. But is he going to get nominated for this role? Probably. And he should because it's a big role, literally. Um, but like, could any of one like like you said, like Tom Hanks? If Tom Hanks would have fit into this role, would they have given him the five minute standing ovation, or was it because it was Brendan Fraser? Yeah, I, I do think part of it is like this is considered a comeback for Brendan yeah. Fraser. It is. It's pretty sad what happened to him. He was 
sexually assaulted by the head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And when he spoke out, that guy had so much power that he essentially blacklisted him um, for so many years, which is obviously super shitty. Um, I really liked him. He did that. um, It's not all the money in the world, but Danny Boyle did a show version of that. Um, and he was good, but he like he was underused because it was mainly um, it's like not really his. He played the Mark Wahlberg role, and a show was, you, a show you and your wife would definitely definitely enjoy if you ever were to get around to getting that that station called Showtime. Um, there's a show on there called The Affair. He showed up on season four, and he actually played a really awesome role, um, which is what gets me excited for the whale. I know he can do this role. He's even good in Crash. That movie, um, you know, he's in that. People forget he's in that movie. It's not a great movie, but he's interesting that he's in that movie. Um, but yeah, I think the whale is going to be going to be very, very great. But the whale is different than those other movies that we talked about. The whale's like a centered performance on him, where like that Babylon movie looks like pulp fiction it looks like it's all over the place like it's not like just one character there's different characters and different things going i think a fan of the show uh, aspiring film guy described it as part chazelle but part coen brothers and part scorsese which is that way from from the trailer kind of makes it seem that way but you know this is damien chazelle like last chance because i really didn't like first man and while i liked la la land it clearly wasn't as good as whiplash so he's now still writing the Whiplash Coattails, which is just like one of the best films of the past 15, 20 years. Whiplash is, is so good. Um, and I, it's like hard, obviously, to make for a film that's as good as Whiplash is that I think it is. It's going to be hard for him to make anything else that's as good. But, you know, can you make something as good as La La Land? Because he also did like a Netflix show that nobody watched. And That's so, true. That yeah, that wasn't the best. At that all. being said, this trailer looks like a little bit of a return to form. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, I was worried because that obviously because the trailer dropped today. You know, if it didn't have a trailer, like would it get released in 2022? Because it's so easy to. It says it's not. It's getting released in 2023. It's it's getting released Christmas time in limited theaters and wider oh, release at the beginning right. of January. So it will be eligible for the Oscars. Okay, that's good. I guess I guess what I mean is like it's not going to get you know um, Killers of the Flower Moon like got outright pushed back to. Yeah, that's it's good. It's that that movie's getting um, its debut at the Cannes Film Festival, so that's not going to get an like an official like widespread release until like fall of twenty twenty three. That's that's what I mean. Like I was I was worried that that would happen to it because it's it's so easy for movie studios to do that, and it's getting essentially released this year. Um, and man, there's a lot of good direct. I mean, I know we 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 already did a pot about this, but Aronofsky, Sam Mendes, Damien Chazelle, um, you, you you had brought up um, Spielberg a few, a few days ago of a, a great filmmaker that has a movie coming out at the um, and it's been talked about quite widely. Um, Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry, Darling. Um, are you excited for this movie? It's. <laughs> I was excited when I first heard the premise and the trailer got released and I was like, eh, maybe this movie won't be as good. And now this movie has some of the dumbest fucking controversies <laughs> that like, I, I now, I, I don't know what to think. Like 
apparently because this was also another like the whale apparently don't worry don't worry darling also got released at the venice film festival mm-hmm. and apparently harry styles who's the lead got like they he spat on his co-star chris pine and a few days late like people were literally breaking this down like of this bruder film because that's <laughs> what the internet is nowadays um there was, you know, a profile of Olivia Wilde because she's doing her best to promote it. And apparently um, Shia LaBeouf was originally cast in the Harry Styles role. But, like, there's a controversy of did LaBeouf quit or did he get fired? Um, there's, uh, the, you know, the biggest controversy is this is where Olivia Wilde met Harry Styles and, you know, started the, the breakup of her and Jason Sudeikis, um, which I, I heard... Someone made a really good comment, like, if a male, a young male filmmaker had gotten divorced from his wife to go out with a young female co-star, no one would bat an eye. But because it's Olivia Wilde and we all love Jason Sudeikis, you know, it's now fuck her. <laughs> um, but I, I, I want to judge the film on its own merits because the initial premise did look interesting to me. It seems like a... Stepford Wives type Stepford yeah. Wives type situation. I'm into the trailer quite a lot. Um, you know, I think a lot of this other stuff. You know, they always say no publicity is bad publicity, or no bad whatever they say. But that being said, you know, I don't know. How I, I do. Th- I do think these stupid controversies are going to take this movie. You know, I I don't even know. Is this probably because I haven't checked? Is this something that will be probably just released in the theaters, not on streaming services to start? Because a lot of these movies, I don't know. I mean, are these all straight, straight to the theater? Yeah. So this is going to get a theatrical release, but it is a Warner Brothers film who um, is basically HBO. Okay. So last in 2021, all of Warner Brothers films went straight to HBO. Um, so, but now, like, there's so much more money in releasing the theaters. It's going to... This movie, Don't Worry Darling, is, like, the reason that Shazam got pushed to 2023 because Warner Brothers was like, we're only going to release two movies this year for the rest of the year, and it was Don't Worry Darling and Black Adam. Um, oh yeah, that's black. Oh my god, that Black Adam movie looks. Does not look so good. It looks real, real bad. And then if now, don't worry, darling, flops. Like I can't imagine Warner Brothers is in fiscal trouble, especially considering they they still have HBO Max. But like, I don't know because they also just sold to Discovery, which I don't think Discovery had that much money. So who knows? You know. You know um... You mentioned him a little while ago, real quick before we head on to the final thing of the dragons. Um, have you ever seen Martin Scorsese's Silence? So, I actually, it was streaming on Amazon Prime and it ended, um, it got off the 31st of August. So, I did watch it right before it left Amazon Prime. I had not seen this movie until just this past week, also. And I watched this movie. I had never had really any interest to see this movie, but for some reason, you when we were talking about you mentioned on a few shows ago, Andrew, uh, his run of playing um, religious figures. Yeah, why? Like, is Andrew Garfield like really religious? Like, Silence, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Under the Banner of Heaven, 
and there's one oh and um the Mel Gibson movie. Yes. Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. Like all different types of Christians, but like all like really devout Christians. So like Andrew Garfield, what are you trying to tell us here? Well, I, I watched this video earlier where they were someone broke down the comparison between all of Scorsese's movies and this movie. Um, whereas the there's a lot of things that are different in this movie, like the cinematography isn't as crisp like in his other movies, which that's on purpose for the way the story's being told. Um, you know, I, I really think he does a good job in this movie quite a, a lot, Andrew Garfield. But we talked before, this is like a passion project for Martin Scorsese. You know, I think that's kind of how it's filmed, too. Um, but did you enjoy the movie? Yeah, so Martin Scorsese actually is a devout Catholic, which is what interests him in this story about two priests going over to Japan to look for Liam Neeson as a priest. Well, they were really um, breaking it down, like in his other movies. Every aspect of Catholicism, like in Raging Bull, there's a scene where, like, he's talking about how De Niro can't consummate his love because there's crosses all around the room. And there's different stuff, like in Mean Streets. So, like, he's always kind of added a little bit of that. But this really. I mean, he also cool. did make the. What was the William Defoe Jesus movie he made? That's right, too. He made um, Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, Last Temptation. I was going to say Passion of the Christ, too, but I know that isn't. Such an he, Scorsese might make Passion of the Christ, too. <laughs> yeah, he'd have to probably ask Mel Gibson, though, if that would be okay. Um, but uh, my problem with this story is that, like, Catholics, like, I know that they probably were persecuted in Japan at that time, but to make an entire story about how Catholics were persecuted when literally like the last 600 years of world history is Catholics persecuting every other religion. <laughs> I like, and especially someone who grew up Jewish, I'm like, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't like, feel bad that Catholics were, were persecuted. Is half Jewish, so it's like, you know, you know, I but don't... He, he, he's a, he's, it's pretty it's well known he is devout I, Catholic. I know, but like he's his family though, his family line is half. So like you're right, but you know, he he's I definitely agree with what you're saying. I don't even have anything to go against that. It's it's more though like this is like I'm still confused. the Japanese part into it, I still have to break that down a little bit more. Um I don't understand how Scorsese try to tie that all in. I have to really go in depth with that more. Um, but you're something about it, it. It's 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 good, but it's like also like barren. I don't know. It's really there's something missing from it. It's it's like you know it's it's a well made movie, right? It's beautifully shot. It, I think it does have great acting in it. You know, there's there's a head cut, cut off in the movie. There is? I, I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. also, it's like, this is like where I agree with you is this movie did not need to be two and a half hours long or three no, hours I, long. You know what? I had to hold myself this whole time without bringing up the length of the show because I almost said it a couple times. You're absolutely right. Um, again. There's there's a lot of repetitive scenes too, which is why this. I was like, there's 100% no way. Like, you could have told the same exact story. Uh at least chopping off a good half hour, if not. There's so many times I can see fucking Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver just sitting alone in a in a hut. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the thing about it is, is that this is a, a quote unquote passion project. And that's exactly kind of, it seems like how, how it's filmed, you know, I mean, it's, 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 but like you said, it's a movie. Most movies, if you're not into the source material, are you really into the movie? So like, it's an okay movie, but you know, it didn't really grab me at all in any special way or maybe they say, wow, this is a great movie. I should have watched it sooner. I mean, it's a good movie, but. I don't know if I even have an answer for this, but do you have a favorite Scorsese movie that doesn't feature either De Niro or DiCaprio? Yes. Um, what is it? uh, it's actually probably one of my favorite movies of his altogether, The Color of Money. Um, oh, it, yeah. Because it's, it's pop- weird because I feel like people like consider that lesser Scorsese, I feel like, in the well, history of his I think I think if you're talking about the way you just said it like that, but you know, Academy Awards, Paul Newman. If you watch that Paul Newman documentary put together to Ethan Hawke, um, the whole movie is based upon Color of Money. The whole documentary is based upon Color of Money and how Scorsese shot that movie. Um, the thing about it, too, is time, too. Look at all the movies that have come since Color of Money. Goodfellas, Casino, all the ones you're talking about. I mean, what movies are you going to talk about on your list? I mean... Generally, when people talk about Scorsese, they don't talk about Rachel. Okay. By the way, sorry, that was 15 minutes from when I started. Fucking people <laughs> clapped from all that I, time I, for the fucking whale. Sorry. When you, when you broke into me right there, I'm like, well, where were we going here? And I totally forgot about that timer, too. That was that was amazing. Um, but, yeah, that being said, when you think about De Niro, uh, Scorsese, you're thinking about, like, Goodfellas, right? You're thinking about yeah, like, DiCaprio's way after you know in the 2000s so like people don't even talk about raging bull when they talk about scorsese oh people people definitely talk about raging bull but like then 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 if you're saying that then they talk about color of money every film group i've ever talked with i've talked with people they talk about color of money but now if we're talking about the most famous like the ones people talk about all the time that doesn't make them the best like you said about succession and those other shows on, on the Emmys, just because they don't talk about it, doesn't make it like prime. But, you know, I mean, like Mean Streets. Do you talk about Mean Streets very often or anybody? Not really. I've, I've never seen Mean Streets. Like, I, I love Scorsese and I've seen, obviously, a bunch of his movies, but like, I'm going through his IMDb and like, I need to be a lot better. Like, there's a, a like 20 movies still of his. I don't know if and it's exactly I think that high. Since but... you went, you know, since you were talking, you went through a lot of those Spielberg. I feel like you'll have a lot more enjoyments going through some of those that you missed in the yeah. Scorsese. More. So a hundred percent, when Killers of the Flower Moon come out, we're doing a Scorsese. Oh yes. Retrospective, and I have a year to watch. But like, <laughs> I, I've also like I've never seen After Hours. Like that's a movie that I've heard that people actually, talk that's about. Actually, probably my favorite. That's probably if you were to tell me. If we were in a room of movie people and they picked me, that would be the one I talk about because nobody talks about it. I'm always the person trying to find the things that nobody's talking about so other people will talk about it. That movie is definitely, to me, that's comic genius, um, that movie. I'm curious to hear you, if you were to see that movie, what you would think. Um, but he, he doesn't have like a lot. I mean, and also it doesn't help. Like I said, I don't run super deep on him, but like, I'm not a big fan of Hugo. I was an overly thrilled with silence no um but that's the, the, the next one is kundun oh 
No. And that's, uh, and that's Age of Innocence. No, I've never seen Age of Innocence. Last Temptation but, but of Christ, Color of Money. Best Temptation of Christ is worth the is worth is probably would be more interesting to you than than um silence. Because you got the foe, you got like you got these you got Harvey Keitel, you got you got David Bowie. I mean it's ridiculous. It's totally hammed up. Whereas like silence is very serious and you know what i probably shouldn't have scoffed at your color of money because it's also like obviously i haven't i just saw those good films i haven't seen but it's not like people are clamoring for the last temptation of christ i don't think people are clamoring for age of innocence like i don't i really am like not looking forward to martin scorsese doing fucking like 1800s drama period piece bullshit yeah i mean and that's kind of where they were describing in this video how he he goes and does period pieces like that. He's got this movie, Silence. But then he's got, like you said, the gangster stuff. You know, he's got, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street. That's not really a gangster movie, but it plays like one. Yeah, a hundred. Like, that's why I love, I absolutely love Wolf of Wall Street. It actually might be my favorite Scorsese movie. Yeah, I mean. Like, even over, great. like, Goodfellas and Taxi Driver, like. I fucking oh, love Wolf, but you're right. Part of it is like because it has it plays like Goodfellas, but for stockbrokers. It's actually actually you're. If anyone's gonna fuck my cousin, it's gonna be me. <laughs> it, it, you're absolutely right. If we were sitting in a room and we had to watch a Scorsese movie, I think that's the best and the most fun. And you know, in that he in is that an executive regard. producer of Uncut Gems. Yeah, I mean, but he's. He stepped into, he's got a couple producing credits that are like a little eye-opening. But, you know, I mean, he's he's Marty, you know. He's Marty Scorsese. So, I really, um, I know it didn't get a lot of play and it was, it got skipped a lot. And I think I've even no, brought but, it. Put it, put it on, on, on the hookup Twitter account. What's your favorite film directed by, directed by Scorsese that doesn't feature DiCaprio or De Niro? Perfect. I'm curious to see what the Tomorrow, what our fans have to say. I always question that when you put out these questions, is there like a time thing? Like, is there a better time to put out a question, or is it just whenever you want? I don't. It's there. Sometimes you'll pose a question and it has like 20 responses, and I'm like, I don't understand why you're responding to this, but not something else. <laughs> That's how it always is. I don't. I don't understand that. And I, I follow that with everybody. There's people who have 5,000 followers and they'll see something really awesome and they'll only have like five people like it. You know, I guess that's just the way it is. But definitely, I will post that and we'll see what people what people have to say. I'm, I'm curious what people And again, I think if you like were able to pull a good sample size, I think the answer would be after hours. But... Could be. We'll have I, to. I don't know. It's. it's I mean, it's, it's a good one. I didn't yeah. think about that. There's been that many movies with De Niro in it because he's taken off so many off the board. Um, or and DiCaprio obviously too is taking off a lot off the board of movies. Right. You're you're essentially taking off the first two thirds of his career with De Niro and the last third of his career because of DiCaprio. Yeah, that's and, Killer, and Killers of the Flower Moon's going to have them both. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be good. Um, but we have brought ourselves here to our, our finale, which is our our dragons, three and four. House of Dragons, that is. 
How are you feeling about this? Listen, all I wanted from a Game of Thrones show was some hot, sexy Targaryen incest. <laughs> and I finally get no, it's um I so I'm trying to cluck my thoughts in a coherent <laughs> way. I do I do like this show a lot. Um I also think some of the criticisms I've seen are valid. They just don't personally affect me as much. Um, the one criticism that I actually do kind of wish the show had is it doesn't have a Tyrion and it doesn't have that Han Solo type character of look like that audience avatar of this is kind of fucked up a little bit, isn't it? Um, and I think it would bring a little bit of not only levity to the show, but I am. It's a criticism, but it's like not really like that big deal to me. But I would like them to expand the world a little bit. We're focusing a lot, and I know the show is doing it on purpose, but we're focusing a lot on Viserys and Rhaenyra and Otto and Damon. From the gathering, and, from the gatherings of the show, is it seems like the show is going to be told in what would be called a fast-forward fashion. So. Uh, we were both, um, because I've asked you before a couple times, actually, um, Olivia Cook has not been on the show yet. Yeah, she has, dude. She's Allison. She's the queen. She is. She's going to be the queen starting in episode six. Right now is an actress, a different actress playing her, a younger actress. That is not Olivia Cook. Uh... I've looked it up. Look, I have, and you know what? You have talked me into this at least three times. And I've watched it. And IMDb, it says. Three times. And you know who has told me three times? No, my wife. Because she knows Olivia Cook even way more than I know Olivia Cook. And I go, Where's Olivia Cook? And she goes, Olivia Cook is not showing up yet. And I go, That's Olivia Cook. And I pointed at the queen. And she goes, No. I look it up. Olivia Cook ain't showing up until. Because the girl's changing too. Um, yeah, Rainier is changing as well. Yes. Which you're right, though. She looks exactly like Olivia Cook. I could not tell the difference. Um, you have, I mean, and you're not literally, you're not necessarily wrong because they're played by the same person. But that being said, I find it interesting that the show's moving so quickly. Um, that makes me feel like this whole show is going to be quick. Like, so like, whereas like Game of Thrones was this world, this is pretty much like a one track of this whole entire thing. So we're going to get to the Mad King in the show. Um, just by the way it's filmed, I mean, we're already going to have older actresses by the end of this first season. So where are they going to be at season two and season three and season four? We're going to be moving years and years quickly. Um, I'm curious to see how that's going to be able to pull out in the long run here. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot. I think it's very awesome. Patty is my favorite in the show. Um, I've pretty, I pretty much have said that line, you are my political headache uh, quite a few times since this last episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I do agree. It's nothing. It's not. Doesn't have the meat as Game of Thrones. It is. It is fun to watch, though. So, uh, oh, Emily Carey plays Alice, young Allison Hightower. Oh, f see, like I don't I really let, know. I people. let you take me the first two times. I so on, on IMDb, like you look it up, it says Allison Hightower, okay. Olivia Cook. It does. I, I, I 
the only reason why is because I, I've like IMDB I, lied to me, those assholes. <laughs> and and they have, and they've lied to me uh, many a times. I, I did know, I did know that we were getting older. Like so, the fifth episode, which will air next Sunday, if you're listening to this relatively when it comes out, that will be the last time we get these younger versions, and then the sixth one will be older. Um, that young girl, uh, the head. What's vis viscery? What's uh? I'm where's it? Look, I'm pulling her up here. Uh, oh, uh, Raniere, the 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 daughter, um, the one who's gonna who's been um yeah. tapped to be queen. Yeah, she she's 22 years old in real life. She doesn't look 22 years old. Um, but that's why it's like Olivia Cook isn't. I mean, these actresses that they're bringing in isn't much older than that. But I yeah, that's why I was like Olivia. Like I assume like when they were gonna age him up, I thought like oh Olivia Cook. Like it's Olivia Cook is only in her. Age, it's not that big of an age up, but maybe they put more makeup on them or something. I don't know. I don't know how. Okay, now I need to look how old Olivia Cook is because I feel like she's twenty five. All right, she can't be much more than the early, the late, late twenties. Right here, Olivia Cook is twenty eight. Oh, that is actually she does not look like I don't know what twenty eight year olds look like, but I also feel like she doesn't look twenty eight. No. Um, you know, I think, you know, that's why I'm curious. I mean, Matt Smith, I think he's awesome on the show. This last episode had quite a lot of nudity in it. Um, anyway, so we, this, you have thrown me off my game because now, like, we went on Lisa Olivia <laughs> Cook. <laughs> Side attention. I do. So, the episode three was the one where they go on this hunt. And I really liked it because not only were yeah. we stepping out of the castle, yes. like, just from a set standpoint, but it was nice meeting. Like um, we met the the Lannister twins, yes. and it's always fun when someone has a normal name like Jason Lannister. <laughs> In this world, it's like we have Tywin and Jason. You know, um, and cool. it's it it would be a little bit nice to expand it like a little bit. You know, they, you know, when they were doing like searching, um, Rhaenyra was like searching for uh, a suitor. In episode four, it would have been nice to like. We heard Baratheon again because again, like we, we know like all these houses and stuff, and They're just like throwing terms around at this point. Like, yeah, we know that. Yeah, it, it, it basically you're right. It basically is like you're just hearing things in the Easter back. egg catnip for the YouTube videos versus being of some importance. Like the Lannister in episode three um, seemed, yeah. you know, has this lovely uh, outdoor tent and a lovely spread. He seems like a lovely host. <laughs> And kind of not cool for her, for Nira to reject his advances. Um, he seemed like a better suitor than her two-year-old brother, which <laughs> Otto Hightower suggested. Yeah. Like the fucking... The, the thing that this world is like, they're not cool with a female ruler, but they're cool with her marrying her two-year-old betrothed to her two-year-old half-brother. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting um, how that uh, the courting for that all all worked. Um, like I said, that third that third episode was really actually probably the best one I think out of all four so far. So far, um, I do wish the the crab king or whatever his name was was in it a little bit more. But that was still cool. That whole battle with with him, um, the way he, he didn't end up victorious, was very interesting. 
Yeah, the episode three ending on that huge set piece of Damon just going ham on these motherfuckers. Yeah, was was very entertaining. Um, I'm wondering though if like with money and finances for HBO, if it's one of those things where like kind of like the first show, like the better you do or the more we go along, the more we'll up the ante and up the budget. You know, because like I did see in this next episode, it looks like there's a lot more dragons. Not that you know, there has to be a lot of dragons for the show to be good. But that's where yeah. But like, how much? How much of this budget is being spent, like on actual dragons? That's <laughs> taking away from, like, oh hey, let's have a scene that's not in the fucking king's chamber or the small court council. Well, like that's the problem so far. Is I feel like they've he's got rid of like uh, Pat, uh, Patty's got rid of everybody. So like he's got rid of. Um, Stephen Toussaint, he's gotten rid of Rise Afans. Like, who's his? Who's who's now part of this? And then, if you watch the trailer, we got Kevin Lannister. When you watch the trailers for the new ones, he looks like sick. I don't know if he's gonna make it. So I don't think. Patty's- I'm surprised he's lived this long, considering it's been like three years, like <laughs> since since the show, like th- in the show's time, and he's got these weird pusses on his back, and apparently <laughs> he, he like lost two of his fingers. Like, bro, right. get yourself some seat cushions, man. My wife's like, oh, man, there was a lot of, you know, passionate things in this episode. And I was like, I bet uh, Patty's was the most passionate when they showed his back. And, and all those, what you just said. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, he, I don't think he's going to make it out of it alive. And I'm curious to see how everyone else kind of plays out. But so far, I, I also want to know is why hasn't technology advanced in 200 years why does the technology of this show seem like it's the exact same as the technology of game of thrones <laughs> like in american and like the world's like the renaissance era like they have like a lot of technological advances and in 200 years a lot can happen you're, you're right. telling me like there's been no technological other technological advances in this world i don't need them to create like indoor plumbing but i don't but know man let's like but maybe where, maybe if your maesters work on moving actually, your society I forward. Good, I got a good comeback. That if I was the creator of this show and you were like, you need to explore different worlds, you need to do this, and I'd be like, well, we're working backwards, like you said, we're uh, we're doing the same things. You know, that's what they're doing. Um, is they're showing you maybe that's how their storytelling is. Is whereas in the future the storytelling is wide and there's many lands and in this past two hundred years it's just one perspective from the Targaryens. Yeah, know. but like, why does King Viserys' rule seem to have the same technological advances as the Baratheon rule? That's absolutely... You know, That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. This is, is an that... interesting point. This is an interesting point now, and you're going to have to fill me in on this, is that when did the um, the land, uh, not the Lannisters, um, when did the Starks get that king's chair like why do they have it now like does it like transfer places the starks have a chair don't they isn't it don't they got the same chair that the king sits on didn't king mm. stark sit on the the iron throne no Was no, they, no starks have never been king in, oh brand stark maybe at the end of but brand was king their dad wasn't the king no he was the head that stark Oh yeah, see, see that you see. Look, you filled me in. That's how long it's been. Ned Stark, who had the two had who was had Baratheons. 
Yeah, so when the show Game of Thrones starts, it's the producer from Love Actually, Bill Nighy's producer. Yes. Um, he is the king, and he's an actual Baratheon. And then when he dies, um, that little shit. Um, That's, right. That's right, you're right. Joffrey takes the throne, and the world considers him a Baratheon. So at though... some point, then, the Baratheons beat the Targaryens? Is that what we're... Yeah, so, like... Probably, my guess is like 10 years before Game of Thrones starts. Gotcha. Robert Baratheon led an uprising that overtook the Mad King. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's why the whole story, I get it now, I remember now, you filled, filled me in. That's why she's, Daenerys is, wants it back. Okay, I, I got it now. Yeah, so, you know, that... I mean, don't quote me on the 10 years. There's definitely nerds. No, no, I don't. But that's that's enough to to, to put together. I mean, that's why I'm curious to see where where, where the show ends. Yeah, so it's still like 100. We're still like in House of Dragons, like 150 years before Baratheon's Rebellion. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. But, you know, I think the show's probably going to start picking up more steam here by what it seems. You know, this last episode wasn't as action-packed as episode three. Yeah, the episode four, you really felt the claustrophobia of only focusing on, like, four people. Yes. And even though I do love a good nighttime romp through the streets and a good... (laughs) I do love a good midnight showing (laughs) about the history of uh, Westeros, but... (laughs) No, I... I'm it's curious still a lot of same characters. See where Matt Smith's character goes from here on out. Um, you know, I'm curious to see where she she's got to marry that other person now. Um, I'm just curious to see where that goes. You know, and if you know if they do more episodes like episode three, I think we're going to have more success. If there's more episodes like episode four, we're going to have more question marks. Uh, you know, especially with the the massive time jump that's coming with the different actresses that are going to play. Because apparently, Olivia Cook was not on the show. But um, <laughs> I like I, I'm still really enjoying the show. I I still yeah. really watch it um, a lot, and like I get great enjoyment out of it. I do think some of it is just like I need a Game of Thrones dopamine hit, and the show House of Dragons is fulfilling that. But I, I do think at some point. This show does need to expand its world a little bit. And maybe that'll happen when Viserys dies. Yeah. Or do you think it's going to maybe happen now that she's going to be having to marry this new family? No, I I think we're we're still going to have this problem with Viserys there. Because one of the fun things about Game of Thrones was that, like, we now have a vacuum of power. Uh um, Or the what was thought to be a vacuum of power and all these different forces rising up to try to fill that void. And I kind of think the show needs to do the same thing to kick it up another level. That makes sense. That's good. I like that. All right. I think that's a good place to end the pod. Don't you think? Perfect. Perfect place. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you are the fan of the show, please tell a friend. 
please uh, recommend it to your Twitter followers. My name is Adam. You can follow me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. My co-host is Tony. Follow him on Twitter at Chalsa01. You can find this podcast on Twitter at the Hookup18. Check out and vote on your favorite Scorsese film that doesn't start DiCaprio or De Niro. That's I'm sure will already be out there by the time you hear this. Um, if there are any topics that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to let us know. Shoot us a message. Happy to oblige. Um, you can find us on Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. You got it. All right, my man. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you next week, man. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Take care. Peace out, everyone. Peace out. All right. Wow. That was a good show. And now I'm going to bring you a little something different. Um, we're going to start looking back at some classic movies of the 70s, 60s, maybe even beyond that, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, 10s, zeros, 1890s, 1860s. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think they go back that far. But that being said, tonight on our very first installment of Looking Back in the 1970s and Beyond, we will be taking a look at Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. As stated, it is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and it is written by both himself and John Milius. The music is by Carmen Coppola and Francis Coppola. Very interesting. Cinematography by Vittorio Storaro. Very, 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 very um, amazing cinematography on this movie. That being said, this movie is from 1979. It was released... August 15th, 1979, um, with a runtime of, well, there's a couple, there's many, many, many different editions of it. Um, the 35mm edition is 153 minutes. The 70mm version is 147 minutes. Wow. Uh, the budget was $31 million. Huge budget for its time, probably one of the biggest. It took in 100, between 100 and 150 million dollars. <laughs> All right, before we get started, let's go through the cast. We have Marlon Brando playing Colonel Walter Kurtz. We have Robert Duvall playing Lieutenant Colonel William Bill Kilgore. We have Martin Sheen playing uh, Benjamin Willard. We play Frederick Forrest playing the chef, Jay Hicks. We have Albert Hall playing George Phillips. We have Sam Bottoms playing um, Gunner's Mate. And we have Lawrence Fishburne as Tyrone Mr. Clean Miller. We also have showing up a little bit of Dennis Hopper, Harrison Ford, Scott Glenn, Colleen Camp. Wow. You could just say that this movie is loaded with a great, great cast. Um, pretty. The story itself, it takes place, as stated, um, during the Vietnam War. Um, uh, Colonel Walter E. Kurtz has apparently gone insane and is waging a brutal guerrilla war against um, forces without the permission of his commanders. Um, so this is pretty much in an outpost out in Cambodia. So, like always, we can't have anyone out there doing things that they're not supposed to. So what we do is we send out 
Mr. Martin Sheen, which I was reading about a little bit earlier. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people uh, were for in this movie. They originally wanted Steve McQueen in this movie. Um, very, very interesting that they would want Steve McQueen. Because Steve McQueen's awesome, that's why. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford, James Caan were all approached to play the role of either Kurtz or Willard, and everyone turned it down. Um, that being said, even Clint Eastwood was approached, um, offered the role of Willard. But like McQueen and also Al Pacino, nobody wanted to be out of America for that long of a period of time. So, Coppola came to Harvey Keitel, and he, and he hired him. He said, Harvey, we are going to make this movie Apocalypse Now. Let's go. Let's head it out into the jungle. So, they head out into the jungle, and they make a couple days' worth of filming until Coppola realizes that. As expected, Keitel can't play that um, in inwardism very well. He's a very outward actor, a lot of emotion that you see. So to play that tense version of what the role calls for, he was uh, did not um, did not work. Um, it's really cool though. Uh, Harrison Ford shows up in a very small role that I guess was offered to James Caan, but he did not. Um, they did not want to pay him as much as he was asking for. Um, that being said, this movie's principal photography began in '76. So it began in 76 and it wasn't released for 79. Um, well, let's just go and say that this movie was uh, heavily, heavily, heavily troubled with uh, overly budgets, um, just money being spent, money here, money there. But back to the story, um, which is what the movie is, what we're here to talk about. Um, the movie um, takes place with Colonel Walter Kurtz, as, as stated before. He's gone crazy, so they send in Martin Sheen. But Martin Sheen also is dealing with some some problems with longstanding um, a longstanding drinking problem. He's just problems. So like sending him in is kind of like crazy because well, he's got problems, and it seems like Kurtz has problems. And like anything. And this movie really taught me this, is this movie is like a lot of empathy too. Because as he's, the whole movie is him traveling to get to um, Marlon Brando's Kurtz. And once getting there, his objective is to obviously take him down. Um, but through the way he meets characters like Duvall's character um, with the, the classic um, tagline, um, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. We all know that one. It's really classic. The movie is just loaded, though, with what I would call... It's loaded with anxiety. It's loaded with fear. I guess is what's being trying to be captured here in this movie. Um, a lot of this movie, um, which Marlon Brando um, likened to this book called Heart of Darkness which he really tried to get the movie about a lot. But it this movie stands on its own, for me, for many reasons. First of all, as a young lad, seeing this poster and seeing the Marlon Brando face beyond the sun, I didn't even know what kind of movie this was. This poster's just kind of... It really is kind of... It's epic, is the best way to uh, put it. It's very, very epic. 
But that being said, um, earlier in the filming, George Lucas was supposedly going to film this movie after he did um, THX. But uh, that being said, he passed it along and Ford Coppola, who started talking about doing this during the Vietnam War when his friends, the aforementioned George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, tried to talk him into making a Vietnam movie. So in a way, this became a passion project for him. But that being said, he is into the jungle and he is traveling down the river. And as this movie is going on, I love the characters in it. Lawrence Fishburne. Young Lawrence Fishburne. I know we have a lot of Lawrence Fishburne fans out there. See him in this young role? Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And really, it, it kind of showcases the whole entire... For me, it's one of the early remembrances of seeing somebody cool playing... Um, young in a movie that you don't in the 70s... You know, you've seen it a lot, of course, but it's just cool because Lawrence Fishburne ended up becoming a little bit more popular to everybody. Um, and not that he wasn't great in Apocalypse Now, but to go back and watch him in some of those, um, him in a younger role like that, I think is definitely something that is worth seeing for the movie. Um, you know, I mean, overall, the movie is, is showcased by Marlon Brando who took a huge, huge payday for just a couple weeks worth of work, $2 million or something like that for its time, which was huge. And, uh, well, definitely it, it stood out, and I'm glad they got him because it, some of the other actors that we were talking about earlier that could have played the role, I just really don't feel like they would have brought the role home as much as quite he did. Um but the movie pretty much by the time is a journey by the time Martin Sheen gets to his destination and he finally runs into Marlon Brando. There's so much he learns, so much he still has to do, so much insight, so much emotion, so much empathy, um, so much mindset. Dennis Hopper is nuts on that island. Great as a photographer, which I was recently reading, him and Marlon Brando did not get along and could not be on the set at the same time, which is pretty amazing to imagine. Um, that being said, I guess the reason was, was because Brando did not read the book, uh, Heart of Darkness, and Francis Ford Coppola was ribbing him, and I guess Hopper asked him about another book he didn't read, and Marlon Brando, who's eccentric, just kind of went off on Dennis Hopper. Um, but that being said, I don't want to give the ending away, but it's definitely worth watching if you haven't. And if you have seen it, of course you know the ending is amazing. And of course you know this is just a just a great, 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 great scene um, that really, for me, kind of plays a lot of different ways. Um, the Doors music the end while uh in some of the scenes really 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 strikes home you know it also sometimes could feel a little bit uh exactly in place some of this actually kind of feels like in today's in today's uh today's eye guys some grandmother just brando when you listen to him in this scene as he's reading these letters in the movie, as he's traveling there. 
it's really acting toward a force. But uh, definitely, go ahead and give um, give the apocalypse now a chance. Wow, De Niro, get a little saucy there on that one from Taxi Driver, our second movie that we're going to be talking about on this 1970s and beyond dive that was requested by a listener. This movie is, well, there's just one word to say, it's amazing. Personally, I saw this movie in seventh grade. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, to me it changed my whole entire viewing of film. Um, this movie was released on February 9th, 1976, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, um, the cinematography by Michael Chapman, music by Bernard Herrmann, um, budget of $1.9 box office $28.6 so whereas Apocalypse Now had over a $20 million budget, this only had a $1.9 million budget. But look at all the money it took in. Wow. Um, this movie, for, well, lots and lots and lots of reasons, is considered to be one of the best. This is cream of the crop in, in so many ways, in my opinion. Um, it was nominated for 49 for the Best Picture, Best Actor. Best Supporting Actress. Um, there was a lot of controversy too, of course. Like people who were trying to assassinate other people in society and then blaming the film. I won't even give those people's names any justice. But this movie has a really, really great cast. As you heard, Robert De Niro plays Travis Bickle. Jodie Foster plays Iris. Steensma, Sybil Shepard plays Betsy, Harvey Keitel plays Matthew Sport Higgins, Albert Brooks plays Tom, Leonard Harris plays Charles Palatine, Peter Boyle plays Wizard, and there's some really great, uh, what's I'm looking for, some, some, some great cameos by Joe Spinelli, Martin Scorsese, wow, um, Let's get started. Let's get started with, according to Martin Scorsese, De Palma, Brian De Palma, the great director, introduced him to Paul Schrader. And Taxi Driver rose from um, feeling that movies are like dreams. So, like, he, they had talked, they got together, and they had come up with this, this story. Um, Schrader used himself as inspiration um, he said he related to the experience of living in New York while battling chronic insomnia, which led him to frequent, frequent bookstores and theaters of pornographic nature. Interesting. Um, following a divorce and a breakup with a girlfriend, he spent a few weeks living in his car. Wow. 
The first draft was maybe 60 pages, and I started the next draft immediately, Schrader said, and it took less than two weeks. So, okay, folks, let's let's listen here real quick. Less than two weeks to write Taxi Driver, one of the greatest films of all time. Wow. That's, if that's not inspiring, I don't really know what is. But let's get back here to the cast. Jodie Foster, great. Harvey Keitel, great. De Niro, of course, great. Albert Brooks as Tom, very, very great, interesting role because we know Albert Brooks to be a comedian. And in a way, I've always laughed at his performance in this movie. Uh, Peter Boyle as Wizard. Yeah, you may know Peter Boyle from lots of different things. One thing you may not know about Peter Boyle was he was the best man at John Lennon's wedding. Or John Lennon was the best man at his wedding. Um, I think that's what it was. John Lennon was the best man at his wedding. Which you're telling yourself, wow, this guy ran with some pretty cool people. And now he's in Taxi Driver. And in Taxi Driver, playing Wizard, not the biggest role. Of course, you'll watch the movie. He's not in it a whole lot. But that being said, you know, I think... uh, it's definitely a role that that's worth that's worth checking out to see him in. Um, the movie did not take home any Academy Awards, although those were all good nominations. Best Supporting Actress also for Jodie Foster. Um, shockingly, it did not. I think it's pretty much because it was a little. Uh, people thought it was uh, a gory, cold-blooded story of a six man a sick man's lured descent into violence. Hilarious that many years later, which it was a good performance, Joaquin Phoenix would win for The Joker, where De Niro did not even win for Taxi Driver. Interesting. Usually how it goes. Movies that sometimes take over uh, off of every movie, other movies, they seem to get the awards. And, uh, well, that being said, back to the movie. Uh, the movie uh, takes place with De Niro, a.k.a. Travis Bickle. He's a 26-year-old honorably discharged U.S. Marine and Vietnam War, Vietnam War veteran suffering from PTSD and living alone in New York City. Wow. Travis takes the job as a night shift taxi driver to cope with his chronic insomnia. Travis, not a good idea. Well, pretty much what you see in this movie is... is well, what goes on really late at night. Um, and Travis, he takes it all in. And I don't know if he really wants to or it's just he ends up being in the situation. And as Schrader uh, stated in his own life, Travis frequents pornographic theaters. Um, Travis doesn't really sleep. Travis becomes, as the movie goes on, I think a little bit more unhinged. He has different type of beliefs. The great scene that I always find hilarious is when Travis decides that he's going to take Civil Shepherd to the movies. And he was going to take her to a pornographic movie, and she pretty much walks out. You know, not really a good, not really what I would say what you want to do for, for, um, not really what I would say you want to do for, um, a date. But that being said, Travis gets more and more crazy. Um, also, around the same time, he kind of meets up with Irish Shreensma, who is, I'm sorry, Steensma, Jodie Foster, who is, unfortunately, super, super young. And she is also, well, unfortunately, a prostitute. 
So Travis tries to talk her out of this and try to get her into a better life. Meanwhile, her pimp is Harvey Keitel. So Harvey could not land in Apocalypse Now, but he sure lands in this movie as Sport, Matthew Sport Higgins. Ooh, what a role, what a role, what a role. Um, but that being said, this whole movie just leads down to this this finale that that is just loaded with with, with, with what I would call some of the greatest filmed ultra-violent scenes in history. Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, when I saw this movie at a way too young age, of course that's what stuck with me. Um, so much so that some of these scenes are also in um, some songs. Um, they've, been, they've been quoted, as you heard at the beginning. Are you talking to me? Everyone's been, everyone knows that role. Um, but, uh, that being said, I think really it's, it's kind of, this whole thing is kind of what I would call, uh, a, 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 a really, you could just see how one man kind of just kind of goes, goes what I would like to call over the top to the point where it's just not, uh, well, it's just not good for him, but Taxi Driver being one of Martin Scorsese's um, movies that people became to know him for. It was not his first movie. Um, but uh, using characters like 12-year-old Foster in a role as a child prostitute. And Jodie Foster currently, you know, could be listed as one of the greatest actresses of all time and continue to work. Um, that's, a, that's a huge... Um, Huge, un, uh, just, just, just huge concept mentally to take in, and actually, you know, for its time, way ahead of its time, you know, and and obviously was definitely talked about, um, you know, and just kind of the whole movie's been talked about, you know, De Niro, you know, I don't know if we get get the De Niro that we got now or the one that we rever as much or that we we enjoy, um. The movie is significant um, and has been preserved by the U.S. Library of Congress. So again, this movie is not really what I would call a movie that you're really going to want to skip over if you enjoy movies. No, it might not be for everybody, and that's the great thing about movies is not all movies are for everybody. Um, but I believe that this movie um, definitely definitely is uh you know and back a real quick here i'm looking in and it said that years later jodie foster confessed how uncomfortable the treatment of her character was on set scorsese did not know how to approach the different scenes with the actress the director relied on robert de niro to deliver his directions to the young actress foster often expressed how de niro in that moment became a mentor to her stating that her acting career was highly influenced by the actor's advice during the filming of Taxi Driver. <sighs> wow, that is, to me, that's huge. I mean, right there, you're, you're hearing that um, Jodie Foster was inspired by Robert De Niro, and I could imagine that to be very true. The movie was instantly praised by Robert Ebert, a great film director. Um, it... it it's just like I said, it's hard to pass up this movie. So definitely, if you get a chance, go back and check out Taxi Driver. 
Thank you so much for listening tonight. Um, I want to thank my co-host as always, Adam at Millennial Socks, and myself. Um, I am Tony at Charles01. And thank you so much again for letting us be your hookup on film. And we will talk to you again next week. Thank you. Good night. And have a great week. Thirty-eight, you've got a new son. Thirty-eight.